Welcome to the Point Church Teaching Podcast. I'm Corey Ickes, one of the pastors here at Point Church in Fort Liberty. We seek to exalt Jesus and equip the saints through expositional preaching and teaching. I hope you're encouraged and uplifted from this week's teaching. Urgency, because we don't know when, right? Therefore, therefore, we speak the gospel every opportunity that we have. Martin Luther says this, I have two days on my calendar. This is good. This is so good. I have two days on my calendar. This day and that day. Like the return of Christ. How good is that? Think about, think about just that simple, simple phrase. I have two days on my calendar. This day, this day in which I have been promised that I have all mercy, all new mercy, that the gospel is true. Like this day, I can't worry about yesterday and I surely can't worry about tomorrow, but I live today in the mercy of God, today in the power of God. And then I anticipate the promises of God coming reality on that day. Man, think about, just, just think about your own life. Don't think about my life. Think about your own life. How would things change if we adopted this two-day approach? I mean, think about all the fluff, all the static, all the fretting, all the worrying that goes to the wayside when we're resting in the mercy and the power of the gospel today and we're anticipating and concerning ourselves with that day, the return of Jesus. It really has a way of kind of cutting down the, what seems like a priority and what really is a priority. What seems really valuable and important versus what God deems valuable and important. So, let's look now at the text. At what it looks like to live by the power of the gospel and in the posture of anticipation. Chapter 13, verse 1 of Romans. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God... And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of the conscience. For because of this, you are also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Tax to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So the first thing we're seeing is this uh, this characteristic, this mark of kingdom citizens that we honor and obey authority. That we honor and obey authority. Now, I want to be clear what I'm not going to do is make this sermon something that it's not, according to the text. 
But something I had to wrestle with in my own heart as I was wading into this text was just automatically coming up with all the exceptions on why not to submit to authority. Anybody? You can be honest. I'm being honest. Barry can be my witness because I was on the phone with him going, man, there's just a lot of reasons that seem like I probably like, don't need to do this. And again, we can kind of attribute that in part to that little rebel in my flesh that's still kicking and screaming. But I do want to characterize that this text is, is a general articulation of authority in our lives. Okay? God has given authority, God ordains, we see in the text, God ordains authority and institutes governance to disseminate his blessing, to establish his order for society. That's God, that's his design, that's his purpose, that's his, his plan. All right, but there's a big but in this. And that is the, the reality of sin and its ramifications on everyday life, right? God ordained marriage to demonstrate the beauty and to, to symbolize the beauty of and the love of Christ to his church. But you know what? Marriage is often a dumpster fire. But see, we don't poo-poo marriage, right? You see that? Yeah, that, that, that shook me a little bit when I landed there. So, we're talking about authority. Uh, let me read this quote. This is Tony Marita quoting another theologian, Michael Bird, about kind of the, what this text is driving at. The Apostle Paul is stressing the need to avoid political extremism. Listen to this. The Apostle uh, Paul corrects two extremes, an over-realized eschatology, right? Eschatology is like the artheology of the end times, right? Of that day. And, and one extreme is an over-realized eschatology or understanding of the end in which it says, hey, the kingdom of God is here, so ignore Caesar, right? I mean, like Jesus has established his kingdom, so we can just forget about Caesar, fill in the blank political leader. Right? That's, that's an over-realized understanding of the end in politics and government. An under-realized understanding of the end says that the kingdom is not here, so pick up your sword against Caesar and let's bring it. That did, <laughs> I laughed when I read that. Just let's bring it. Paul is trying to avoid one party ignoring Caesar for the sake of Jesus' kingdom and in, in his return, and the other one is essentially going, hey, you're not Jesus, therefore we're going to fight you position. See, the call here is for believers to live in accordance to God's design, under recognizing God's ordination of authority in our lives, but also recognizing the brokenness of sin that has its effects on every system, right? And so there's a, there's a faithfulness. There is a life that is seasoned with Christ that enables us to navigate 
and submit and obey. And I'll just say, submit and obey when we can. But I want us to understand that the default is submit and obey to authority. There are exceptions that we see in the Scriptures when believers are commanded and ordered by government authorities to disobey God. And what did the apostle say? Uh, I obey God, right? But that's really all I'm going to say on dissenting today because this sermon ain't about that. Honor and obey authority. Authority is from God. The Scriptures tell us that all government, all governing authorities have been instituted by Him. Therefore, it says everyone, take note, not just some, not just the weaker, not just the others, but like everyone. And I want to I say, like, because politics is just a, oh, wild, this does not bear on you if you only agree with said politician or government authority. Agreement is not, our, our submitting, our subjection, and our obedience does not hinge on our agreement. But I will say that there is an increasingly hostile attitude politically on every side that would essentially say, hey, listen, I only can do this if you think like me and if you lead like I would lead. And I'm talking to myself, right? Because that is very easy for even myself to fall into. Everyone be subject. 1 Peter 2, verse 13 says this, Be subject for the Lord's sake. Not, not, not because you like the guy. Not because uh, you know, that policy is one that you can get behind. But be subject for the Lord's sake. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now remember, we're talking about Rome. Okay? <laughs> I, there, there could be some pushback going like, well, Paul clearly, he, he clearly didn't live in America in 2023, right? There's no way that he would be saying these things on the ba- if he knew the context that we were in. But we just need to take a little trip down memory lane and flip the history pages a bit to the reality of what Rome was. Now, in this moment, when this letter's penned, it's the early days of Nero. Things were pretty well at peace. But they had already had some rough goes prior to Nero. And then we know things get really dicey and horrific in his later years. And yet, Paul is going, hey, because of the end in mind, we subject ourselves to authority. Anyone who resists authority is resisting God. And, and who he is appointed. And it says that they'll incur judgment, that, that they do not hold this, this sword of, of punishment or, or ability to execute judgment uh, willy-nilly. It's not for vain, but it's like there to do the appoint God's judgment. He 
You see, in general, civil government is to be a good thing that carries out God's order and ethic among the people. He goes on, he says, hey, it's not about being a terror for good conduct. It's not about hunting you down, but it's about doing what's right. You've got nothing to fear. Do wrong, incur wrath. Otherwise, submit and obey. Be subject not to just escape wrath, but also for a clear conscience. And he summarizes, he basically says, hey, for everybody that you owe, you owe. If it's tax, you pay tax. Revenue, you pay revenue. Right? Respect, you pay respect. Honor, you pay honor. Peter summarizes this really well in chapter 2 of 1 Peter. He says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, listen, family, by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. I want us to understand, because America and, and a lot of the blessings that we have received by living in this country, right, that many of you fought for and continue to fight for, like praise the Lord, right, we're grateful for the country and the place that we live. But it's really important to understand that we are almost exclusively by ourselves across the history of Christians that look to government for some kind of stamp of approval or backing. You understand? Like that, that historically and globally in the present day, brothers and sisters in Christ are, are not living and dying by who their, their, their elected officials are, but they are pursuing Jesus. They're living in the power of Christ. They are posturing with anticipation of the return of Christ regardless of the political climate of the country. So the point is, is that we don't have to poo-poo government. We also don't have to fanboy government. But we have to understand that our allegiance to Christ drives us to honor the Lord, right? Fear God, honor the emperor because of the return of Jesus. He's coming back. He's coming back. Some of folks in here have, have lived as missionaries in other countries, or maybe you've been there on a short-term uh, opportunity, and there is great injustice taking place. There is horrendous persecution taking place. But those individuals don't look at this as a political problem, but it's looked at as a spiritual issue. I remember Voice of the Martyr. It's a, it's a magazine subscription. I'd encourage you to get it. I, I remember as a young preacher, like a very young preacher, I had it and I was, I, was using, I was looking for an account, like a testimony, almost like an illustration for a sermon. And I remember reading an article. I, I can't remember which country, which people group, but they were in the jungles. They're having church under the cover of darkness, baptizing people in a creek under the moon, because it is absolutely against the law to worship Jesus where they were. And they were interviewing one of the leaders of that church, and he basically said, hey, do not pray that this thing end. 
Because what they had seen was the incredible blessings of God and that the gospel was going far and wide because of that persecution. But see, when we look at it through just a, a political lens, when we look at it and go, well, if, those just, if, if we could just get some good godly authorities there that could just make laws. As a matter of fact, listen, the one time that that happened in history was one of the weakest times in church history. When, when Christianity was essentially enforced and demanded that everybody be Christian, it produced one of the weakest seasons of the church. Why? Because they weren't living in the power of the gospel. They were not, they were not posturing in, in anticipation of the return of Christ and him righting all wrongs, but they were looking for the power of politics. And they were posturing that they needed to be in the seat of power in order to make change. Family, let's not find ourselves there. Let's not find ourselves there. We can be critical. We can provide feedback. I think that we, because of the system that we have, I think we work to political opportunity. I think we work for political good. But we don't praise it, and we don't worship it, and we don't necessitate it in order to follow Jesus. Amen? So, the gospel, when we talk about the power and posture, we're going to be talking about that at every point. The power of the gospel enables us to submit and obey to authorities as we submit and obey to Christ. And the posture, as we anticipate the return of Christ in his kingdom, we pray, family. We are commanded to pray for our leaders. We're commanded to put forth them and bathe them in prayer. We pray. We pray. And we long for the perfect kingdom of God to come to earth. Moving on. The second thing that I want us to see as a mark of kingdom people living in the power of the gospel and postured with anticipation of the return of Jesus is loving your neighbor. Familiar, but don't check out, okay? Do not check out on me because you've heard that phrase a lot. Listen to what verse 8 tells us. Owe no one anything. So coming off of, hey, if you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you owe all these things. And he says in verse 8, owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So we're, we're getting into this picture about uh, love and the law of God, the Ten Commandments. It's, it's, a, it's a, a beautiful thing that we're about to see. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in these words from Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, love does not wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love your neighbor. Corey, why does this, like, what does this have to do with the end times? How, how does the return of Jesus drive us in posturing ourselves in, in, to love our neighbors? Like, what is that? Are my neighbor's annoying? You laugh. We all laugh. But we all have that neighbor. 
or that coworker, right? Neighbor is a, a pretty broad word here. Love your neighbor and fulfill the law. Leviticus is running through all of these, uh, all of these commands, and we get to chapter 19, and he says, But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Because nobody loves themselves quite like I do, right? Like, you, I don't really love, I mean, if I love people like I love Corey, we'd be okay. So, owe no one anything. There's, a, there's a, 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 this notion that like, hey, you can take a loan, it's okay. You can borrow things, it's okay. But owe no one anything as in ensure that you uphold whatever system is in place. Pay it back. Right? But the one thing that you cannot pay back, but that you seek to pay, is love to others. Love is the theme of uh, Romans 12 and 13. It is driving us because it is the characteristic, it's the mark of the Christian community. But not love in some like rainbows and unicorns kind of love, but like actionable Love, even when it's not reciprocated, right? So he takes us to the law and begins to say, hey, listen, for the commandments say you shall not commit adultery. Loving your neighbor is the fulfillment of the Ten Commandments. So I just kind of broke it down. Love your neighbor enough is to not lust over their spouse, right? Because Jesus, he takes the Ten Commandments about, about adultery and he says, hey, have you ever lusted? Because everybody's like, oh, well, I've never slept with my neighbor's spouse. Yeah, but have you lusted over them? Then he says, then you have committed adultery. So love your neighbor enough that you don't lust over their spouse. Love your neighbor enough to not hate them. This text, the command says murder, but we know hatred in our heart. Lord Jesus says it's murder. Love them enough not to hate them. Because they deserve it? No, that's not why we love them. First John tells us that we love because we were first what? Loved. Did you deserve it? No, I appreciate that. We do not love our neighbor because they deserve it, because we owe them, because of any of the sort. We love our neighbor because we first were loved. Loving your neighbor enough to not steal from them. Listen to this. Love them enough to, to not be, um, have conceit towards them, to be spiteful or resentful at their possessions or their success. Love them enough to be able to celebrate them. Hey, good on you. You, you. you can manage and have those car payments. Praise the Lord. As much as I'd love to have it, I'm glad you got it. Love them enough to serve, to care, to encourage, and give them Jesus. Because remember, all of this, as we live in light of the return of Jesus, what is the single most important things that our neighbor needs in light of the return of Jesus? They need Christ. 
They need Christ. They, 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 they don't need the things that we might even be jealous of, right? They don't need us to, uh, you know, to prop them up or, or to be their best friend, but they need us to give them Jesus. And one of the ways that we do that is through loving them. We love them and act. So this week, I, I sent around a little picture of what uh, kind of a, a, a application of, of uh, Kevin's sermon on proclamation, and it was display and declare. We display through kind acts. We display through service. We display through care the picture of the gospel. Like, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. I don't love you, you don't love me, but I'm going to serve you because of this critical thing that has taken place, right? And then we, we pair display with declare, in which we speak the good news of Jesus. Our neighbors, they are not entitled to it, but we, as God's citizens, as those who have been changed by His grace, must give them the gospel. We give them the gospel. So the power, the power of the gospel enables us, family, to put off hate and to love others as Christ loves us. And the posture as we anticipate the return of Christ is we display Jesus and his kingdom as we love our neighbors. So, summary, your relationship with your neighbors actually matters. It actually matters. Why does it matter? Because it is a God-given opportunity for you to steward to display and declare the gospel. It matters. Be a good neighbor. Be a hospitable neighbor. Hey, hospitable doesn't mean you've got all the riches in the world, you've got all the knickknacks. You don't have to have a better homes and gardens home to be hospitable. Be a good neighbor. Have an open garage door. Right? Like, be the place where kids want to be. Hang out. Care for your neighbors. Throw parties. Do things with generosity and love. And speak and declare the gospel. And the last thing that I want us to see, and this is kind of the, the, the main point of this whole sermon, is that we live in light of the end. So, so think about, remember Romans chapter 12, we see that, that we are not to be conformed, but transformed. So there's the power of the gospel at the beginning of this unit that we are to be laying into daily. That's our power, that we're being transformed into the image of Christ. And then at the end of this unit is, uh, is chapter 13, verses 11 through 14, in which we see this picture of we live in light of the end. So think about this sandwich, this, that we've got power, and we've got our posture. And it, it, it shapes and marks us as the community of God. It gives us the power and it tells us how to live. We live in light of the end. Verse 11, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We live in light of the end. Wake up, family. Wake up. 
wake up. Corey, what, what, what's the exhortation? I'm like fully awake, I'm, I promise. Wake up to the reality that is at hand. This life is not about picket fences, two and a half kids, comfortable income, prime location, career success, you know, kids or soccer stars. This life is not about these trivial things. Wake up. Life is also not about your political affiliation or lack thereof. It's not about your hobby. It's not about your passions apart from Jesus. Life is not about these things, but yet we run the risk of making our life completely about these things. Wake up. Wake up. Ephesians 5 verse 14 says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Listen to this. This is such a timely word. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Wake up. This is a call to stewardship of the time that we have. Do not, do not, Waste it away with the device in your pocket. Do not waste it away with the ultimate, like, the, like some alternate reality of social media. Don't waste it away by giving yourself to things that are going to burn up at the return of Jesus. And there is, listen, there is going to be a lot of things, a lot of good things, a lot of things that I love that will burn up. And so this is not just it absolutely is. We see, don't make any provision for the flesh. But man, do not waste your time on trivial things. Don't. Don't. Wake up. Look carefully then how you walk. Consider how you walk. Consider the priorities of your life. Consider uh, the things that are non-negotiable. Consider the way that you manage your time, the way that you manage your finances, the way that you manage your home. And consider how you're walking. And, and is, it, is there any inkling about the return of Jesus? Is there any posture of anticipation that, hey, time is short. We got to go. Family, time is short and we got to go. Text tells us, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. But you know what? A lot of times we live like we're on, we're on some kind of like infinity time that just is going to keep going and going and going until I die, right? And then after that, functionally, we're like, you know, we'll just see what happens. Every day, we are a day closer. Every day, we're a day closer. Every day, the Lord tells us that when every day that He does not come back is mercy. It's mercy for those who have yet to call on His name. So, let's do a little correlation then. As the people of God, as ambassadors for Christ, every day that we have in which the Lord Jesus does not come back, that it is a day of mercy in which we proclaim the gospel and call people to Him. Like, you're... 
I know that some of you are thinking, Corey is crazy. Like, I know this is important, but there's no way this should drive our whole entire life. And I'm saying it absolutely must drive our entire life. And you don't just have to be a preacher for it to drive your life. Like, do your career with excellence, but allow it in the midst of it to be driven to be taking the gospel to places that it's never been to giving it to the gospel to people that have never had it. This is not for the specially called, but this is for the saved. Wake up. Salvation is near. He says to walk properly. To walk properly. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. See, there's battle. There's battle language here in which we are actually fighting this temptation to just be kind of lulled to sleep by our comfort, by our, our lack of stress. You know, see, this is honestly where the gospel is flourishing globally under persecution is because this isn't a threat. Those believers do not need to be told to wake up. The day is near. Because like their every decision to follow Jesus has direct implications on who they are. I had a friend of mine who's a missionary in the Middle East, but he found himself in China and was uh, serving a church underground really close to the capital and was a part of some baptisms, and next thing you know, we get word from a prayer chain going, hey, um, the authorities are kind of looking in on this guy. Like, we need to pray that, that he's safe, pray that he's able to get out of the country, pray that he's not detained. But see, not, very few of us have, have struggled with that tension. And I'm just saying that we have to work double hard because a lot of us don't have that pressure. A lot of us don't have that pressure of like, <laughs> you know, I'm in the pool baptizing somebody, I'm going to get arrested later today. Right? That's not a pressure many of us face. Therefore, we work double hard to ensure that we're staying awake. We work double hard by grounding ourselves in the power of the gospel that enables us to look to the end. We work double hard to posture ourselves in a way that everything that we do is being filtered through the reality that Jesus is coming back. Make no provision for the flesh. One of the greatest ways that we work against ourselves is by just giving ourselves, just laying down, being like a doormat to sin. We invite it. Paul's exhorting the people of God, do not make provision. Don't, don't entertain it. Don't, don't host it. Hey, we're, you know, we're going to go here, but not there. Like, do not make provision. Fight it. Battle it. Run from it. Don't make provision. From what kinds of sins? We see sexual sins. We see... Civil sins, quarreling and jealousy. There's a lot of that. There was a lot of that in my house this morning. We cannot make provision for it. I myself cannot make provisions for this sin. 
But it says, and this is the power of the gospel, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision. See, the power of the gospel is that we have been made new. We are new creatures in Christ. We're a new creation. And we have been empowered by a new identity. And that identity is not about me and my flesh and my pleasures. But it's about the Lord Jesus and His kingdom and His and the proclamation of the gospel. So we put on Christ. We put on Christ. And as we posture and anticipate the return of Christ, we remain alert, we pursue Christ, and we battle sin hard. That's our posture. So family, as we, as we close and wrap up, a couple things. One, what are you doing to be empowered by the gospel? Okay? Living life kind of by the seat of your pants, getting a little bit of Jesus when you can here or there, is not living in the power of Christ. So there's, I would just encourage you, rhythms and habits, right? We, 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 need, we need rhythms and we need habits. Some of that stuff is personal, like finding time where you can fight to have time in the Word and prayer. It's just a, it's a standard habit you don't have to be Spurgeon to do it, right? You can, you can be in the Word. I'd encourage you. I, there's, there's, I can give a lot of practical formats for that, and, and if you talk to me, I'll be happy to do it. But find rhythms and habits that you can begin to pursue Christ yourself. Commit to the family of God to actually be encouraged, right? That's your missional community, right? And then in DNA groups, and, hey, here's a praise. I was doing a little mapping of DNA groups of our church. I know not everybody's on that list, and I counted 51 people signed up and like uh, that many of are already doing. But we've got, I mean, like it looks like there's not 51 people in this room right now, but that many are signed up doing discipleship. And I'm just saying, praise God, because that is a place in which we get schooled by the gospel and by the support and love of brothers and sisters in Jesus. We are, able, we are enabled to access the power of the gospel through those relationships. And I'm just saying, like, praise the Lord if you're signed up. If you're not, man, I'm, I'd encourage you, press in and do it. But the posture, are we anticipating the return of Christ? Or maybe a better question is, when's the last time that you even considered the return of Christ? And that's not a shame thing. But that just helps us understand that, like, we're, we're, we, tons of folks are military in this church. When you hit the ground, you better have one posture. Am I right, guys, ladies? And it ain't laziness, and it's not halfway anything. As Christians, Let's check our posture. Let's not, if we find ourselves halfway, you're not broken. You're just like the rest of us. But what we do is we repent. Go, Lord, I, like, I'm not even being mindful of this. Would you forgive me? Would you stir this up in me? Would point it to me in scriptures? But, like, share it with your accountability in your DNA groups. Like, Lord, form this, this posture in me that I'm, I want to be on the knife's edge of God's kingdom. 
I want to be on the attacking front of God's kingdom, not just like, yeah, well, hey, you know, when he comes, he comes, it'll be great. Let's have a posture of anticipation. Amen? You guys bow your heads. We're going to pray. The word is good. And as the people of God, we, when we hear the word, when we read the word by ourselves or in a sermon, we must respond. And we can trust the Holy Spirit's going to lead and, and guide us and convict and encourage and uh, awaken things, expose things. And so I'm praying, Father, would you please lead us to be a people, kingdom people, that are living in the power of the gospel and, and that have a posture of anticipation for the return of the Lord. Lord, teach us what that looks like. I pray for, for breakthrough in, in, in habits and rhythms that, that, would, um, just, that we would tap in to the great power of the good news of Jesus. And Lord, I pray for, for a real sense of, of burden, but not like, Ow, this is heavy, but like, man, the weight of the importance and urgency for the return of Christ, it's pending. What am I doing? How am I living? And family, I just, I, I want to con convey to all of you that if you fall, feel like you're falling short in these areas, you are not too far gone. The good news of Jesus is that we, have, we receive new mercy every day. So whatever failings we had yesterday, I just say, take them like a, like a small child to a parent in prayer and go, Lord, I, I biffed it here. Would you move in my life? Would you lead me? Would you guide me? Show me areas that I, I need to press into Christ. Show me areas where I need to functionally move some stuff confess sin, arrange priorities. Lord, make us a people that are empowered by the gospel in that posture with anticipation. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like to learn more about how you can be a part of what God is doing here at Point, Connect with us at www.pointchurch.live. Thank you.